you're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. Privileged to be here this morning to share God's Word. Um, we're in a series at the minute called Church in the Wild. It is a journey through uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, uh, 1 Corinthians. And um, last week, John kind of opened it up and kick things off. It's a brilliant message. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go back and have a listen because um, it, was, it was a fantastic way to set it up. And we'll be camped here in this book for much of the year. And we're exploring, asking God to speak to us and basically say, Lord, what's your heart for our church? And what does it look like for us to step into the fullness of what you have for our community in our cultural moment? Um, So I'm excited about that. Now, if you did miss last week, just want to catch you up for a moment. But in historical context, Corinth was a major economic hub in the first century. Just like Hull, it was a port city, but it had about double the number of people, about 700,000 people in Corinth. Um, Its values and its culture was really centered around the idea of self. So my life... My dreams, my feelings, my ego, my appearance, my desires are the highest and ultimate truth. And into this environment, this wild city, Paul strategically plants a church. He starts a community that's not anchored in that way of life, the way of self, but it is anchored in a completely new way of living and even being human, which is the way of Jesus. Paul plants the church. You can read about that in Acts 18. And then he goes and leaves Corinth. And over time, Paul begins to get some reports that the church in Corinth is having some issues. I love this quote from John last week, that the issue wasn't that the church was in Corinth, but that too much of Corinth was in the church. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians to address some of the issues that the church is facing there. And full disclosure, as we read about some of the issues that they were facing, it's going to remind us about some of the issues that we are facing here in Hull in the 21st century. And as we come face to face with the scriptures and open them up and and we sit under the teaching, uh, we get confronted maybe with some things that jar against our cultural persuasions. Our heart has to be one of humility. Like, God, we are here for you. Would you come? And as we kind of adopt that posture, God is going to take us to whole new levels of, of surrender and devotion and purity and holiness and unity and generosity. Um, and we will never look the same. And our city will watch on and see what God is doing. Amen? It's going to be awesome. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn it open to 1 Corinthians? We are going to be starting in chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The words will be on the screen behind me. This is what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 17. I appeal to you, Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. 
Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let me pray before we start. Father, we thank you for these moments, and we invite you to come and speak this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. So we're going to jump into really the main body of the letter. John last week unpacked a bit of the introduction, but here we jump into business. And the first order of business for Paul is an appeal. It's an exhortation. It is an urging for brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus in the church in Corinth to live in unity. Paul writes this. He says, be perfectly united. Church, how many of you know that the unity of the church is of first importance to God. Let me read a few scriptures to back that up. Ephesians 4, 3-4. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Acts 4, 32. In Acts 4, we see really the blueprint of the early church. It says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. John 17, this is a prayer Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. He prays this, I am in them and you are in me. May they be completely one, so that the world would know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The unity of the church is a witness to a watching world. And finally, Psalm 133, absolute classic. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I could go on and on and on. We see evidently throughout the, the wide scope of Scripture that the unity of the church is so dear to God's heart. In fact, I would argue that it's kind of non-negotiable. It is there in the Bible. And this is where Paul starts. Why does Paul start with unity? Well, firstly, I think it's because God is united. God is perfect, existed eternally, perfectly united with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no disunity in God at all. And as his sons and daughters, he calls us and invites us to be like him. But secondly, because a divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs a united church. I read an article this week called Lessons in Living a Selfless Life. This is what it said. I find myself increasingly exhausted by all of humanity's warring ways, culture wars, religious wars, political wars, racial wars, identity wars, and literal wars. The more we fight, the smaller we become, the more we retreat into our silos and echo chambers, the more blind and deaf we become, oblivious to the profound cost to our own humanity. Can anyone else relate to that? We're just bone deep tired at the state of our warring world. And in the midst of a warring world, God is building a united church. If there is a war out there, there mustn't be one in here. 
And our job as saints, as holy people set apart for him is not to war with the world. It's not to shout at the darkness, but instead it's to turn the light on. If you want to know what the book of 1 Corinthians is all about, really, it's teaching the church how to live with the light on. Guys, we don't want to be a dimmed lamp, do we? We don't want to have our lamp underneath a bowl in the words of Jesus. We definitely don't want to have our lamp stand removed like some of the churches in Revelation. But instead, we want to posture and position ourselves to receive the fullness of what God has for us and bring heaven to earth in our time. And a key to this is unity. Let's read. Paul writes this, My brothers and sisters... Some from Chloe's household have informed me, he's got an inside informant, that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Peter, still another I follow Christ. So what's happening here? Well, in the church in Corinth, reports had come to Paul that there were some divisions happening in the church. And the root of the issue was basically down to which Christian leader people pledge their allegiance to. We're seeing Christian celebrity culture forming in real time. There should, probably was an Instagram page called Preachers in Sandals. And people in the church were basically groupies to their favorite spiritual leader of significance in the time. A group had formed around Paul, a group had formed around Apollos, a group had formed around Peter. And there was another group which really disregarded any form of human leadership said, look, we, don't, we, we will refuse to listen to or submit to any of those leaders. We only follow Jesus. And in the church, these factions formed and quarrels broke out and division occurred. These guys would slander one another and gossip and criticize each other. And Paul is speaking to this environment. And he basically says, guys, stop. Enough. This is ridiculous. He asks a series of questions, beginning with, is Christ divided? It's rhetorical. The answer is no. He asks the unthinkable question, did Paul die for you? Did I die for you? It's, in essence, he's saying, church, you're losing the plot. This thing isn't about people. It's about Jesus. Our allegiance is to Jesus. He is the one true king. Yes, we love our leaders and we honor our leaders and we submit to our leaders as the Bible says. But we recognize that all leaders are themselves servants of Jesus. This is his house. And for a moment, just speaking to our context, we're in a cultural moment where we're tempted, aren't we, to either deify or denigrate Christian leaders. We put them on too high a pedestal or we try and pull them down. And we must guard ourselves from the Christian celebrity thing. It's great to be inspired, great to be influenced, great to be encouraged. Um, there are remarkably gifted leaders all across the world. Social media has given access to all of them at any moment. We right now have access to people we probably shouldn't even have access to. But it feels like not a month goes by without a major leader in the church, national or global, having a moral failure. There are really too many to count in recent years, leaders that I have looked up to and loved and listened to and admired their anointing, their gift from afar, and they've, they've fallen. It is deeply heartbreaking. It comes out that maybe there's, there's many years of hidden lives of sin, abuses of power, deeply unhealthy leadership. Many of those church leaders fell because their character was outweighed by their gifting. 
they were given a platform that their humanity couldn't handle. I've been mulling this over and I just come to realize in myself that people, we were not born to carry that level of acclaim or adoration or platform. We were not made for it. There's only one who is, which is Jesus. And it's more important than ever that our allegiance is anchored to Jesus alone. Now, a word on unity. I think a lot of Christians misunderstand what unity is. I've got two common misunderstandings that people have. Firstly, that unity equals uniformity. How many of you know that unity does not equal uniformity? We agree on that? Um, unity doesn't equal all churches looking the same, doing the same stuff, having the same style, even working together doesn't equal unity. I love the fact that there are so many beautiful flavors and fragrances of churches in the vineyard. We say we are just a carrot in the stew. We love and want to bless the whole body of Christ in the city. It is, it is a, a picture of the diversity of heaven. It's wonderful. And I think it's got part of God's strategy to reach everyone. So unity is not the same as uniformity. Second misunderstanding that people have is that unity is the primary goal of the church. A lot of churches right now make unity the highest value. They say our goal is unity. Everything else, including truth and doctrine, even God's word, comes secondary to this. These Christians rightly recognize that there are a few things as close to God's heart as the unity of the church, but they miss a way to create a unified house. I read this quote earlier this week from a guy called David Bolton. He said this, I've come to believe that the greatest enemy to unity in the church is actually the church's pursuit of unity. In other words, when we make unity our pursuit, we so often end up with division. But when we make Jesus our pursuit, we always end up with unity. Let me say that again. When we make unity our pursuit, we so often end up with division, but when we make Jesus our pursuit, we end up with unity. So what is biblical unity? Well, true biblical Christian unity is a uniting under God's truth. Let's just unpack what Paul says in the text here. It's an urging for unity. Paul says this, he appeals that all of you Agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Notice the three evidences Paul gives of unity. Firstly, he says there's unity in what we say. Secondly, there's unity in what we believe. And thirdly, there is unity in how we think. Paul says the church is to be united in speech, in beliefs, and in thoughts. It's interesting to me that this unity isn't a superficial unity. It's not an agree to disagree unity. It's not a sweep it under the carpet kind of unity. This is a reality that the gospel is at stake when the church becomes dividing and drifting from these things. I think the point Paul is trying to make is that it's impossible to be united over something which isn't true. This isn't about how we love people or serve people or, or reach our world. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, which has become divided because the values of the world have crept into the church. And he doesn't say agree to disagree. He, he says, guys, God's heart and vision for this community is that you are one in word, belief, and thoughts. And Paul says, if you deviate from that, division is a natural 
consequence. You begin to say and speak things contrary to the gospel, then there's division. You begin to believe things which aren't true about who God is and his ways and his kingdom and what he cares about, then unity becomes impossible. You begin to align your way of thinking with, with the world rather than heaven, and it becomes clear that your allegiance is no longer with King Jesus. And so Paul's encouragement to the church is come home, come back, turn the lights on, come back to the truth about God and his purpose and his ways. Stop quarreling, stop messing around and keep your eyes on Jesus and watch as a united church transforms the world. So for us at Whole Vineyard in our community, let's make this simple. God is building a community of worshippers who welcome our city home and who impact the nations. And the kind of family God is building in this house is a family that's united, a family who live as one. And Paul gives us these three ways that we can demonstrate oneness or which can bring division. Number one, our words. This is real practical. Let me ask you this, church. How are our words with one another? Do we speak life, hope, purpose, healing, dignity, peace? Are we prophetically calling the things of God over people and into people's lives? Do we speak truth at all times? Or do we say things which cause fractures in relationships, which hurt or or criticize? Do we engage in gossip slander or self-promotion? Do we tear people down rather than building people up? These things bring division. One preacher said these things are spiritual self-harm. How are our words? Secondly, how are our beliefs? Or or, or in the, the words of Paul, I believe somewhere, are you watching your doctrine? Tozer, A.W. Tozer once said that what we believe about God is the most important thing about us because it shapes everything, shapes everything. So this is an encouragement in a wild world and a compromised church for this house to have a deep fidelity to the truth about God as found in the scriptures. Our beliefs about God and the gospel are shaped by nothing else other than the word of God. Even if an angel, Paul writes this in the book of Colossians, if an angel appeared right now, we'd all be blown away, flies down, and he says, "Um, I found a new way for you to be saved. It's not in the Bible. We say we refuse to listen because all of our truth is in the Scriptures. Thirdly, how are our thoughts? Paul encourages us, says the church is to be one on a neurological level. We know, don't we, that disunity, brokenness, sin, all begins as seeds in our mind. The war is in our thoughts. The battle is in our heads. And if the enemy is going to try and bring disunity, he'll start with our thoughts. So church, let's not even entertain divisive thoughts in us, critical thoughts. Let's place upon our heads again the helmet of salvation. Let's think of things that are pure and lovely and holy, let's recognize that we have the mind of Christ and we don't want anything in our head that's not in his. Finally, how do we practice unity? 
When we pursue unity as the goal, we often end up divided. But when we pursue Jesus as the goal, unity is inevitable. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer about unity. He says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So a hundred worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. He says you don't get a hundred pianos in tune by trying to tune them to one another. You just get a hundred even more horribly out of tune pianos. But if you want to get 100 pianos in tune, you've got to pick a higher standard, which is in tune, and tune each of them to that. Guys, the invitation is for every single one of us, for this church, this house, this community, this family, to be tuned to Jesus, to sit under his word, to not be tuned, to refuse to be tuned to what the world says or to our 24-7 news cycle, or what's the latest on social media. We refuse to be tuned to those things. We don't want to be tuned by the cultural preferences of the world. We want to be tuned and have our hearts and, and our consciences tuned to Him and to His Word. To be a people who seek after Him, to pursue His presence, to lean into His ways, to consecrate ourselves to a new level of holiness and purity, to live undistracted by the ideologies of the world, untempted by the ways of culture for Him and Him alone. And I believe as we do that, as we go after God, He will build a united church and our city will watch on. And in the words of Jesus, they will know that Jesus was who He said He was. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.